book, Maison Lesage, Haute Couture Embroidery by Patrick Morris, published in 2020 by Thames and Hudson Limited, London, opens with this paragraph. In the words of Madame Necker, Embroidery is to dresses what women are to the art of conversation. Like the layers of cotton wool we pack into boxes of china, we do not pay much attention to them. But if they were not there, everything would fall apart. It is the ornament that accentuates the line. It adds light and luster. We might not be consciously aware of it, but like persistence of vision, it leaves an impression on us. And it is meticulously planned, designed and executed. Say hello to the stunningly beautiful, elegantly innovative and seductively alluring world of French haute couture embroidery and the House of Lesage, a journey through the who's who of couturiers worldwide and the French embroidery house that helped them fashion their dreams. Karl Lagerfeld said of Francois Lesage, there is no couture without embroidery and no embroidery without Lesage. The House of Lesage, the doyen of French embroidery, collaborated with many of the fashion world's elite haute couture designers, bolstered by an archive of more than 70,000 samples in a variety of techniques and materials. Combining craftsmanship with innovation, appealing to designers by keeping abreast of new technologies, incorporating new materials and techniques, cleverly merging modernity with tradition. Embroidery has always been about innovation and the House of Lesage knew they had to keep changing with the times simply to meet the demands of the economy and its customers. And it's this ethos that's been at the forefront of the success of Lesage Haute Couture Embroidered Embellishment. Charles Germain de St. Auburn raised awareness of the significance of the age-old craft of embroidery when he published La Art de Broder in 1770. Designers such as Charles Frederick Worth and many other well-known names in the fashion industry remain in our memories. But it's the embroiderers, the petty manes or small hands that actually created the garments. And it wasn't till the coming of Albert, his wife Marie-Louise and their son Francois Lesage, known as the godfather of couture, that the title of embroiderer was again recognised as a mark of respect in the modern world. A 2010 blog post by the France Today uh, states this. Francois has worked with the who's who of the fashion world, embroidering leaping circus horses for Elsa Scaparelli, translating Gaudi's mosaics into an avant-garde dress for Guy Laroche, and translating Van Gogh's irises into a famous iridescent jacket for Yves Saint Laurent. So let's begin 
to trace the history of haute couture embroidered fashion threaded through the story of Maison Lesage. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Adolf Thiers in History du Consulate et de l'Empire, Volume 13, traces the resurrection of luxury in France to the winter of 1802. After the dramatic effects of the French Revolution, which saw the dissolution of craft guilds, resulting in skills no longer being passed from one generation to the next, people, not surprisingly, longed for peace and the pleasure of luxury, opulence and grandeur. French economist and writer Henri Baudrillard says this of the exhibitions aimed at bolstering the post-revolution economy and production. The splendour of gold and silver brocade, satins and velvets, embroidery and braid, trimmings and lace were everywhere. Fostered by social, economic and technological influences, expenditure on extravagant items gradually grew. Specialist suppliers and craftsmen were once more in demand and famous French luxury brands began to appear. Names such as Christoffel in 1830, Hermes in 1837 and Vuitton in 1854. Charles Frederick Worth opened his salon in 1858, becoming the influencer of his time. His was the genius of opulence, rich materials and textures. This passage comes from Patrick Moray's book, Maison Lesage, Haute Couture Embroidery. A whole vocabulary for furnishings and clothes emerged with passementary as the common feature. Baudrillard wrote this. In the group of threads and fabrics, there were so many ornaments, trimmings, embroidery, buttons, fringes, novelties, which I am not disparaging, but their excess does not help to encourage economy by the poor or virtuous behaviour by the rich. I think he wants it both ways. The passage continues. Day and evening gowns were weighed down with chenille, tassels, frogging, silk trimmings, velvet panels, jet bugles, glass beads, decorative flowers, plus, of course, the traditional lace and embroidery. Under Worth's impetus, embroidery evolved so actively that 40 Embroidery houses mushroomed almost overnight, writes Palmer White in his book on Lesage. 
And one of those workshops was the Atelier of Albert Michonnet, embroider, uh, embroiderer to Napoleon III, who supplied not only Worth, but many of the other major fashion houses as well. Worth's fame eventually waned, supplanted by Poiret, then by Chanel and Patou. Lines were streamlined and fabrics more fluid, meaning their decoration had to be rethought and redesigned to accommodate these changes. Albert Michonnet was one of 22 fashion houses that survived the changes necessary to meet the demands required by the new fashion houses, but he was keen to retire. And sensing an opportunity, Albert Lesage suggested a six-month collaboration before entering into a successful, permanent partnership. Now we move on to Madeleine Viennet, whose emblematic style was beautifully soft, light fabrics cut on the bias, emphasising their sculptural nature, not permitting a dart or zip, fastened only occasionally by hooks or pop fasteners. Just think of those elegant black and white movies from the 1930s where the gowns were cut so simply and cleverly and draped so beautifully as a result. Viennet's spirit of modernity required an embroidery style not weighed down with heavy materials like beads, fringing or jet and the colours and textures also had to be brought in line with this new vogue. And Viennet had working in her atelier one Marie-Louise Favreau, whose job was to collect documents and sources of inspiration and also help develop the designs. It was up to Marie-Louise to ensure that Michonnet reproduced the embroidery patterns correctly and that the tones and colours were true to the design. Marie-Louise and Albert Lesage fell in love and married. It was a perfect match of his design ability and entrepreneurial spirit with her feel for colour and artistic imagination. Tambour beading, where the beads and sequins are loaded onto a thread and worked onto a fabric stretched in a frame, was a method perfectly suited to Albert Lesage and the requirements of Viennet's style, demonstrating their creativity and innovation, while allowing delicate materials such as tiny beads, sequins and bugles to be attached precisely. But it was Paris's 1925 exhibition of decorative arts that saw the emergence of a genuinely new style, that of Art Deco. Albert and Marie-Louise responded quickly to the flat surfaces, simple, geometric, abstract and organic forms. They innovated by improving the vermicelli technique using sinuous lines of tiny beads sewn into areas of dense patterning, worked with the new tambour beading method. They invented a shading technique where the embroidery pattern was dipped little by little into an increasingly strong dye bath. They used irregular glass beads, tube seeds and even plant fibres steamed and covered with beads. 
Albert even created a logarithm to calculate the design of a length of embroidery in relation to the fall of a gown. Now that's impressive and unfortunately I couldn't find anything written about his logarithm. But best of all, accidents were turned into opportunities when after dropping a box of sequins onto a coal stove, the sequins puffed like popcorn. Lesage simply went on to use these souffle beads in embroidery for both Viennet and Elsa Scaparelli. Lesage worked with V&A for 15 years, creating over 1,500 designs for the couturier. Then came the 1929 New York Stock Exchange collapse, the first cog in a chain reaction shattering the world economy. American clients were lost, turnover was drastically reduced, supplies were affected. The shoemakers, dressmakers, feather suppliers, leather workers, furriers and, of course, the embroiderers. Albert Lesage responded swiftly, looking for new opportunities. He began using simpler embroidery on clothes we would recognise now as sportswear. He tried moving into fabric printing, but he also began to use embroidery and passementery to develop a line of accessories, belts, bags and costume jewellery. Albert's son Francois would revisit this initiative half a century later with great success. Maison Lesage hung on during this economic crisis, but only just Elsa Schiaparelli was now in Paris, noticed by Paul Perret for how stylishly she dressed. The Paris fashion world would be hers for the next 30 years. Schiaparelli approached, uh, approached Lesage in 1935, wanting to add something to her designs to make them stand out, but also to discreetly help the atelier, whom she knew was in trouble. And according to the book Maison Lesage, Haute Couture Embroidery by Patrick Morris, Scaparelli ordered a series of embroidered belts incorporating gold thread passementerie set with large cabochons of coral and turquoise. These were followed by a collection of necklaces, yokes and collars, which led to more garments, suits, dresses, coats, boleros and fantastical capes. Lesage's relationship with the couturier became closer and closer, only ending when Scaparelli closed down 20 years later. Unlike the fluid fine embroidery favoured by V&A, Scaparelli's designs emphasised the three-dimensional tactile nature of embellished decoration. And Maison Lesage had the inventive and experimental flair, enabling them to adapt to the Italian designer's baroque, vibrant, playful and very, very individual style. In his book, Haute Couture Embroidery, The Art of Lesage by Palmer White, Palmer writes this, Albert introduced materials into his embroidery that were equally imaginative. 
Murano blown glass for little flowers, imitations of hard minerals, lapis lazuli, jade, turquoise, glass stones and beach pebbles, cabochons and so on. He crushed gelatin beads to lend them the appearance of hammered coins, combined chenille with, of all things, mink. At Scaparelli's behest, Albert brought back into fashion bullion, a spiral-twisted metal thread, and then employed metal to reflect its new uses as demonstrated by the Art Deco exhibition that had wrought such an impact on her and led to her introducing into fashion many of the new substances of the modern industrial world. Plastics, latex, cellophane, rayon, crepe, tulle and knits. Scaparelli took inspiration from ecclesiastical and military garments, creating thistle and hedgehog textures made by hand with traditional padded and quilted techniques giving a sense of relief. Scaparelli became famous for the colour shocking pink and should be remembered for her inexhaustible imagination aptly interpreted by Albert and Marie-Louise Lesage. The designer and embroiderer collaborated in a series of memorable collections, granting them both permanent recognition in the history of fashion. The Eskimo Collection 1935, the Parachute Collection 1936, the Music Collection 1937. This included accessories of jewellery, belts and necklaces. The 1938 Circus Collection, also including jewellery and buttons designed by Jean Schlumberger in the shapes of clown faces, barley sugar, licorice, candy floss and dancing horses. How absolutely wonderful! The Plant Collection 1938, the Astrology Collection 1938 and the Commedia dell'Art Collection mingling influences of Baroque Music, Taipello, Picasso, Barad and Severini. Lesage's reputation grew along with the success of Scaparelli's creations and Francois Lesage, the son of Marie, Louise and Albert, was the eventual legatee of all of this unbelievable imagination and creativity in embroidery adornment. Then came World War II. Maison Lesage is such a wonderful story in the art of embroidery and fashion and one that affords greater in, uh, investigation. And the collaboration with Scaparelli, that unique, iconic Italian designer, was one of the most prolific and successful. This was an era of elegance, vision, artistry, enterprise, resourcefulness and ingenuity. Listen to the wrap-up uh, wrap of Maison Lesage in the upcoming episode of Stitch Safari. Thank you so much for your time. Much of my research for this episode came from the wonderful book by Patrick Morris, Maison Lesage, Haute Couture Embroidery, published by Thames and Hudson Limited in London in 2020. A very worthy read indeed. And what do I truly love about this episode? 
It's about the surface embellishment of fabric using skill and imagination, making those designs work. But it's also about continual change, evolving designs that work with the fabric and the couturier's concept. But it's also about the process and collaboration between the designer and the embroiderer, and that's truly unique. This has been a fascinating episode to research, but there's more to come, so do stay tuned and subscribe. Stitch Safari's now reached over 6,500 downloads, and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Welp magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at January 2022 by Feedspot. I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now. <laughs>